Welcome to Democracy Rules, a podcast series that focuses on the me in democracy and how the idea of the self defines and is defined by the democratic structures within which we function. Welcome to the Democracy Rules podcast where we explore democracy inside out. This is Prakar Bhartiya, social entrepreneur and co-founder of the Indian School of Democracy and your host for the podcast. This podcast is part of my dream to connect hearts across the country and facilitate the work of truth and reconciliation. In today's episode, we explore the potential of India's demographic dividend. How can a largely young country mobilize its youth to catalyze stronger participation in the formation and shaping of public policy? How integral is youth action to the growth of a healthy democracy? Young minds bring fresh perspectives, alternative approaches and innovative solution to the table. Unshackled from the weight of the past, young voices can forge a unique combination between pragmatism and compassion. Young leaders can propel a democracy's journey towards a sustainable and inclusive future. In today's episode, I'll be in conversation with Simi Mehta, CEO and editorial director of the Impact and Policy Research Institute. Dr. Simi has a PhD in American Studies from Jawaharlal Nehru University's School of International Studies and was a Fulbright Fellow at Ohio State University in the United States. Her research areas include agriculture and foreign policies in the United States and India, along with a focus on international security studies, sustainable development, climate change, gender justice, the urban environment, and food security. We'll be discussing with her today the impact of policy research on the facilitation of inclusive growth, gender equality, and social justice, and how young voices can be encouraged to participate more actively in the formation of public policy. Welcome, Dr. Simi. Thank you very much, Prakhar. Uh, thank you for joining today in our podcast, Democracy Rules. I would first want to know briefly more about why does democracy is important for you? What does that mean to you as a practitioner of public policy? Thank you so much, Prakhar. This is a real honor to be joining you in this uh, very important discussion. So I would just want to tell you here that I have a training in political science and as I specialized in this area, I got to know a lot about what fundamental rights are, which are enshrined in our constitution. And in fact, this became a turning point for me, as I believe that the fundamental rights are the essence, the bedrock of our democracy, which protects every Indian from discrimination on all forms of uh, grounds that we can imagine, whether it is race, religion, creed or sex. And these are actually enforceable in the courts of law. So as I continued to specialize in public policy, taking from the core fundamental rights, which are also enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights of the United Nations, I understood that democracy has to attain greatest salience in my research. And through it, I aim to implement the diverse voices of people in our research at Impact and Policy Research Institute and the policy recommendations that we put forward in all our uh, research activities. I would also like to point out here about the recent ideational turn in political science and public policy, much of which impinge upon one another. And this implies that different kinds of ideas, diverse ideas, they really matter. And ideas are an essential explanatory concept for understanding policy changes and the decision-making processes. And this is where we at IMPRI, we come in. 
and we seek to espouse the classifications of different types of ideas. For example, at different levels of generality, ranging from specific policy programs to cultural representations. And also, we espouse different ways of thinking about ideas. For example, ranging from a positivist to a constructivist approach, or even stressing on ideas as causes of or of constitutive of public policy. So as a proud Indian, I am always in awe of India's ancient civilization, where currently around 1.4 billion people have shown resilience for its composite culture, some that really dates back to 4,000 years. And this is what makes India a truly vibrant democracy in its continued quest for innovation and modernization and all sorts of uh, progress that we can think of or we have been thinking of for the future. So inherently, democracy is the bedrock of uh, our work, of our thinking and, of course, of our uh, nation-building process. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Simi. One thing I think for me, I think working with young people over the last decade or so has made me build more belief that if we strengthen the democratic values or understand truly what does preamble means to begin with and do that work with young people, I think a lot of them do understand the importance and the need of democratic values, constitutional values. What was it for you that inspired you to pursue this line of work and uh, start this? Yes, Prakar, absolutely. And um, actually, I've been engaged with civil society movements um, even before um, my formal higher education began. And these movements were very basic and very organic with respect to uh, demand for access to better health, education and vocation for the underprivileged and for the unprivileged. So I belong to the state of Jharkhand. And uh, as you know, it is not a very advanced and a very uh, highly developed state. So in that formation, I have had humble upbringings and I know what it means to be in lack. So, but really encouraged and motivated by highly educated parents, I committed myself to excelling in academics and thereafter, I wanted to use my training to pursue evidence-based policy research that could contribute to socioeconomic, political and environmental challenges and the resolution of some of those, whatever little is possible in India. And going ahead, my PhD, as you mentioned in the beginning, it focused on US-India agricultural cooperation. And I really focused on food and nutrition security because I chose this area to study the practical policy solutions of the pressing issues of agrarian backwardness and the low levels of productivity, high rates of hunger and malnutrition, especially among women and children. To this date, we are really struggling with a very, very poor rank in the global hunger index. So I really continue because it is not a one-time solution that we can provide, but it has to be a continued quest and continued determination to arrive at some logical solutions for these issues. And this, I believe, um, through my research, we could do that through decades of proven uh, US-India agricultural collaborations. And it is not between just two countries, but it is about a globalization of knowledge, which ultimately leads to a democratization of solutions. So this is uh, where I could uh, end here, but also about public policy research and practice in our, um, in our work. 
at uh, IMPRI, we really take into account the micro level cognitive dynamics very seriously. And we wish to theorize the relationship between different kinds of ideas. We want to specify the conditions, the mechanisms and the sequences which are involved in the process of ideational changes. And through this, Prakar, uh, we expand the methodological toolbox with innovative methodologies to measure ideas and also to measure various kinds of responses that we gain from our field experiences and then examine the ways in which these ideas matter in different policy domains and settings. So the very fact that we examine different kinds of ideas, different kinds of responses, we provide a platform for expression of the diverse perspectives and hence I strongly believe that we are furthering the democratic ideals. And our major intervention has been towards socio-economic equity and hence the views from the below, the grassroots level uh, views, it becomes very, very important. Any specific example, Dr. Sumi, that you want to share which you feel uh, because of your work, it has brought an influence in the policy system, maybe in Jharkhand or at a national level? Yes, Prakar. Absolutely. Uh, so even though we are not a very old institution, we were set up in 2018. But uh, right from the very beginning, uh, we have always sought to confront the most critical challenges of regional and international development. And uh, here I would like to take the example of homelessness and affordable housing for the rural poor and for the urban poor. And in it is involved or interlinked are uh, the various aspects of basic amenities like water and sanitation, education, mobility, food, nutrition, water and energy security, and so on and so forth. So we have really been engaged in uh, working for the homeless citizens, whom we call the city makers for the urban areas. So at very grassroots level, we have been working for the rights of homeless citizens or the city makers as we call them. And uh, this has been on our priority list because we believe in the right to a dignified and respectful life, which can happen through dignified and respectful shelter uh, for all. So we were engaged by the Delhi Urban Shelter Improvement Board or the DUSIP of the government of NCT of Delhi as the third party inspection agency where we oversaw the implementation of contractual obligations of works of operations and management of night shelter clusters in NCR of Delhi. So overall, we have been really focused on providing solutions and also our aim is not to provide or understand the loopholes that are there in the system, but where there can be a learning lesson and where we are able to bridge the gap. So that is uh, one area that we have been working with and the reports that have come out of our work has uh, really had some good media attention as well as the policy attention. It received the attention of the Ministry of Housing and Urban Affairs of the Government of India and uh, in fact uh, our report was quoted verbatim in the economic survey of um, I do not recall the exact year but a couple of years back and uh, it also came as um, a written text document in the Honorable Minister's speech. So going ahead, what we found is that we were invited by the Delhi government minister who was in charge of um, looking at the urban shelters. So we had actually recommended the establishment or construction of workers' hostels in the transit areas of Delhi. Transit areas meaning the border areas wherein people from other states 
the bordering states they come in and uh, then they uh, work for the entire day and then they return to their um, respective hometowns so this we had observed during our third party evaluation of home shelters we found that many of them are just coming in and they spend a few days couple of weeks at max and then they return so what we wanted is because they have a lot of baggages uh, in terms of their responsibilities and they would want to bring their families as well so we wanted that some dignified shelter homes are provided for them at these border areas and we found a lot of um, vacant houses vacant buildings in the outskirts of delhi and we wanted that to be converted into decent living uh, spaces and this has been accepted by the government of delhi and the work is on and uh, this i believe is one of the successes that we have had and looking at our work we have been approached by several other civil society organizations like the indo global social service society and action aid india etc with whom we have been working on these issues and uh, here i would want to point out is that we are really focused on equity across all genders so it's not about just working men uh, male hostels but also for other categories of people as well thank you so much for sharing in such detail and i think uh, the impact of these things are uh, slower but when they happen i think it is very powerful and at a much larger scale for our listeners who are tuned into our podcast one thing will be there You have, you have very well explained the macro picture of it. Uh, would you want to go a little more deeper because I visited shelter homes in uh, Delhi, especially a women's shelter home and the kind of challenges uh, they have. Do you want to share a briefly like like in 30 seconds about how do you see the challenges especially in women uh, shelter homes in Delhi? Definitely. Uh, this is uh, an extremely important uh, point that you have raised and uh, as you know the situation is not up to the mark despite uh, you know any agency even if it is us or any other um, third party agency which can come in and um, would want to make a difference so i would just want to draw your attention to a few months into our work when we were uh, into this uh, because we really did a daily inspection and several steady and positive improvements were observed but there were several deficiencies that have that were discovered and um, many segments during the same period we reported to the dusive mostly in the women shelters and also included in that is the family shelters so in that uh, based on the shelter management agency's uh, dusive agreement we understand that various dimensions of manpower requirements as in the security and in the safety of that night shelter the display the records the availability of water sanitation hygiene and cleanliness the equipment and fittings wherever they are required even the retiring facilities and the cleanliness requirements the safety and security so all these are very very important and these require i would say a very very proactive um, stance from the smas the shelter management agencies as well as the government because we can only point out the loopholes we are not an implementing agency and especially for women where there is lack of water sanitation hygiene and cleanliness and also even basic first aid basic facilities this really becomes a challenge we have been pointing out in all our meetings with the chief secretary of uh, delhi we have been pointing this out to the uh, dusive Uh, officials somewhere some action is taken but it is very very piecemeal i would say 
So a proactive stance is required, I would say. Thank you so much uh, for that. So this podcast that we are recording is more for the young adults who are building their understanding of democracy and how do can they contribute. What is your recommendation that how do they like get more information so that they can challenge their own belief and also broaden the spectrum of understanding? Absolutely, Prakhar. It is extremely important and um, coming from a background wherein we have witnessed multiple challenges, multiple movements for a domicile status, for um, for the rights to be heard, etc. in the state of Jharkhand. You know, while growing up as an adult, I have seen that much of uh, the youth have been quite averse to, to conversations that are political in nature, uh, at least in my peer group, uh, so to say. But call it a change in the political environment today, it is a positive and optimistic thing that uh, I have been noticing is that with the mix of information which is readily available, the youth of today are really no longer apolitical, so to speak. And I personally think that this change has only benefited uh, and it will benefit the trajectory to the future. And with more and more young people engaged in rational discussions, deliberations and constructive dialogue formation and its exchange, like issues of um, climate change, democracy, representation, violence and peace, these are no longer exclusively relegated to the field of policymakers or the aspiring politicians. But it is now being transcended and uh, people of all ages, especially the young adults, they're at least taking a stand. And this positive change of political discussions being accessible to all is a product of change in the society, especially our Indian society that has always accredited the apolitical youth to be privileged. So in order to preserve the beauty of discussion and deliberation, more and more young people must be aware of issues of global importance through conversations and reading. Reading, I would underscore again and again and engaging in discussions, in healthy discussions. And as someone who has worked with the youth for the last uh, one uh, decade or so, I have had the privilege to be part of this movement of spreading information to the youth by the youth on the matters of public policy, geopolitics, climate change, gender justice, and so on. And through my personal experience, I can vouch for easy flow of information to be the best medium of helping the younger generations. And this information should be vernacular based. We have to reach to larger audience so that they become part of the movement and they are more and more involved and become proactive in their field in order to be rational human beings of tomorrow and also build a future which they can prosper in. And to your last question about how young adults can pitch in. In fact, we we should culminate this idea of um, greater research and uh, this perhaps would provoke their thought processes and challenges and which could challenge their established pattern of thinking and uh, help them to come out with critical analysis. And for this, again, reading, reading all sides of the story from sources that are genuine is very important. And not many of... Um, uh, of the youth, not many of the younger generation would be uh, really interested in academic articles. You know, the bulky articles that uh, we all are engaged in writing and the journal articles, etc. But these days, information is all about being succinct. It is also about catering to this fast-paced world. We all want the most authentic information in the quickest time. So we have YouTube videos, we have Instagram infographics, 
and podcasts like this. So in order to be aware and to keep the spark of knowledge alive, a little effort does help in the long run, I would say. And here, one should be open to learning about ideas that counters one's prevailing narrative, prevailing sense of understanding. And once they have learned about the different aspects to a pressing theme, for example, gender justice, only then they must arrive at a logical conclusion. And this would perhaps culminate into building a very, very healthy society or a healthy network of ideas and eventually move towards a healthy nation building process. So in my work with the young people and I work with the politicians often, I see that more and more young people are divided across the spectrum. So while the information is coming and that's helpful to make choices, make decisions, but we all have our own echo chambers now slowly. Very few people are trying to engage on both or multiple sides of spectrum. And that at some level, when it comes to democracy and politics, makes people divide across often party lines or ideological lines. And I think that sometimes I feel is a big struggle. How do dialogue enable them to understand the other side better and engage better? Because that's something is important. Uh, for the entire generation to understand each other and not alienate each other just on the basis of political ideologies. So that's where I think uh, something that maybe we all have to work more. Uh, My question for you is more around uh, how do you see gender in the larger scheme of things in terms of uh, the gender gap that's there in decision-making positions? And uh, as you work uh, massively with with the policy uh, people, Uh, As a woman, do you think it helps to have a woman on the table? How does greater gender parity impact the research you do? Uh, Because in my experience, I often see, and I think we started calling it manals, that word I've heard somewhere, that there are four speakers, four of them are male only. And some of us made a choice to not go on the platform if there's not a woman coming over there. If a woman is not on the panel, then we would not go there. So how do you see those kind of things uh, impacting the policy decision when the voice of uh, women is not there? Absolutely, Prakhar. You have really hit the chord. And um, this is an area where I am so passionate about. To, to respond to your the first comment about people being really engaged in their own silos, ideological silos, and not really wanting to get more and more information about you know, the other side of the story, there is a lot of um, uh, impatience, I would say, to reach to a certain level. And here, the ideological differences, the political ideologies, which is um, actually coming as a barrier in the greater learning process for the greater good. So here again, value-based education, I would say, is very, very important. And uh, there has to be a certain degree of respect, certain degree of decency in all Uh, deliberations and um, I need to be tolerant of your views if even though it is uh, you know antagonistic in your thinking so that has to be embedded and that will come through training because fast-paced information is only adding to the woes it has its pros but it has its disadvantages as well so we need to be more and more tolerant about uh, differing or diverse perspectives which really does not necessarily match with ours So uh, that is really important. And to your second question about the gender gaps in uh, policy making and policy determination, gender disparity is a very, very persistent issue, not just at the micro level, but also at the macro level. And I personally think that much of the issues that women today continue to face, which can otherwise be easily avoided, is due to a lack of representation of their needs and demands at the macro level. 
and political representation is just one of them you could see this gender gap in the private sector the top management is still a male bastion where even women continue to excel in their fields they continue to face the brunt of a patriarchal society you know in this fast paced modern world and at times when when uh, women holding guns and even wearing bomb jackets is seen as peculiar it is ironic prakar to see how their representation during peace talks is null in fact we have been uh, doing regular training programs on um, how to inculcate greater uh, participation of the women in the and mind you this is not binary a uh, greater participation of women in uh, in the peace uh, keeping um, or peacemaking processes and also even at the highest level uh, wherein people do not uh, know what feminist foreign policy is i would just point an anecdote over here to you which was a very recent experience i was speaking to a very highly placed retired official just the last week and uh, i wanted to have his opinion about feminist foreign policy a program that we are uh, conducting in the month of september this year and uh, he was quite um, taken aback and jokingly he mentioned this to me that i don't even know what feminist foreign policy is is it really important to put this in um, in perspective or is it really important to have a discussion on this so it was a question mark coming from a very highly placed official who has served in the foreign services indian foreign services so this is the level of um, perhaps um, intolerance i would say and this is not really healthy for a democracy and the aftermaths of sexism the aftermaths of patriarchy and misogyny is so deeply embedded that its immediate effects are seen in the rising number of all sorts of violence all sorts of violence and unequal treatment against women and hence i strongly believe and i am a strong advocate of adequate representation of women proportional to their population in the policy uh, side and it should be equal to their male, male counterparts in order to ensure sustainable and equal growth it is really really a high time that we have um, the reservation of women uh, bill passed in the parliament it is still pending in one of the houses so we need to be very vocal about it and i am sure this government is very well placed with the high numbers that they have absolute majority that they have in the parliament to see it through because we are we have already experienced the successes of um, reservation of women in the panchayati raj institutions and also in the urban local bodies there are challenges definitely uh, even in these local levels but if you you have been traveling uh, to the most rural areas of india you must have witnessed about the greater participation and this very great greater number of uh, women coming out in the public and you know expressing their views it itself is very encouraging and why not have it from the you know at the national level so it is very important and uh, i just like to add here that greater gender parity impacts my research at a moral and also at the subconscious levels as it really adheres to what democracy and equality truly stand for um, while it is really a great delight to see much of academia on gender studies and their discrimination to research and develop new ways and policies one can really effectively implement to ensure sustainable gender parity but for a policy enthusiast like myself i would really want and i would really like to see uh, the election of um, female heads of states of heads of governments not just in india but you know all around the world 
or even in the south asian countries we see that game changing female policy makers are there and um, we have a lot to learn from one another and we should be open to learning and there's no denying that um, adequate representation of women in the legislatures in the law making bodies is extremely important and um, we must not abhor the idea of reservation for women in terms of uh, political representation because we have a long long way to go in terms of gender equality and gender equity one point that you raised was about the manel and uh, we ourselves were faced with it when uh, we did not have you know any uh, acceptance for one of our discussions on uh, foreign policy that was on india and china that the standoff that happened in ladakh but we were fortunate enough to be joined by ambassador nirupama rao later during the program so one of our speakers said that i hope that this isn't a manel and as you mentioned that some of the men they are um, rejecting the invites because they are not seeing any women on the panel so this is really uh, an important issue and uh, we have so far we have been successful in having all sorts of voices <clears throat> across all our discussion series we have had more than 600 of um, offline and online discussions uh, so far especially in the last two years but it becomes a disappointment it comes really as a disappointment when we see that very good very good agencies very good civil society organizations think tanks even universities they have their panel set in fact they have their manel set and the only way where we can where they are bringing in women is to you know provide the introductions or to provide the inaugural comments or to provide the vote of thanks so we have to rectify this we have to understand that this is not just a mere ornamentation wherein we are having women's faces on the posters but because we are not giving them the opportunity we are not providing the appropriate platforms for women to voice themselves so this has to really come to an end and we must have more and more female participation and this will really make a lot of difference as we move towards a gender just world which is also one of the objectives of the sustainable development goals you know goal 5 of the sdgs thank you so much dr sumit Uh, for our listeners who are tuned into the podcast, uh, there are fourteen percent women member of parliaments and around eleven uh, percent MLAs across the country. Out of the forty-three hundred MLAs that we have, member of legislative assemblies, only eleven percent are women and fourteen percent in parliament. And the women reservation bill was passed in Rajya Sabha, the upper house, in two thousand ten. And since then, two thousand fourteen parliament, two thousand nineteen parliament, which is currently going, it lapsed also because it was not even touched. in the last two uh, parliaments so there's a long way for us as a country to see women in positions of uh, power and also at decision making places thank you dr simi for sharing more about this so this podcast focuses on young adults and the role they play public policy is fast becoming a popular field of study how do you see this trend what are the, what are some of the things that aspirants should do to prepare themselves for a career in this field of public policy so one one way i think because a lot of people do come to me also for recommendation letters and all who are going to study public policy abroad so that's one way to do but i think that's a very limited elite way also because it is so expensive to study outside what are also some of the ways that people who can't go outside to study and are in india only how do they build their career in public policy if you want to share that part as well i think that will be great yes 
Prakhar, this is uh, a very, very relevant question. And in fact, this actually makes a lot of sense because um, the generation now has to be fruitfully employed uh, or productively engaged in activities uh, for their as their career options. So I have um, myself seen that the avenue of public policy is a new and emerging field in India. And it has lately developed into an important and interesting avenue of interest to the young people in the country. And this resonates much with the prospects of being active change makers. So as this idea seeks in, seeps in to the minds and hearts of the younger generation, and as someone who has worked in the field of making the knowledge of public policy more available to the people and sensitizing the youth about its avenues and prospects, I really sincerely believe that there is going to be a positive growth trajectory in this trend. And I hope to see more and more young people in this field. So as you mentioned, you have written recommendation letters for students wishing to study abroad. But of course, that is an elite area. Not many of the aspirants, public policy aspirants, um, receive scholarships to study outside. It is only relegated to a certain section of the population, most definitely. And especially further certain section which really wants to study public policy, which is also very less as compared to the traditional fields of study like um, engineering, medicine, etc. So my view is that one has to be, because this is a very, very demanding profession. And uh, as you yourself have been engaged in this field for quite some time, um, you finding time for yourself for that matter, for even for myself, if I have to find time for myself, it is really uh, rare. So we have to understand that uh, we have to be very flexible and open to knowledge because nothing ever will be absolute. And uh, if this resonates much with one's ideas of impact-driven change that we want to see, then public policy is the right field for them. We have to ensure that there are more and more institutions coming in, which not just teach public policy, but they also enable public policy in practice. They facilitate. And for this, there has to be a greater resonance with the government agencies. You know, uh, you spoke about the number of legislators in our country, the female and the male legislators at national, state and local levels. So, how about espousing that espousing the cause of greater internships as it is there in the United States? Internships which would give you not just, you know, you'd be implementing your theoretical knowledge, but you would be implementing, you'd be understanding how politics really works, how policy making really works. We have options, we have opportunities in these areas. Many you know, younger members of parliament, especially, they are wanting to have greater number of interns, for example, or research fellows, research assistants. But it is very limited, I would say, for a country of 1.4 billion. We have to have more and more number of legislators wishing to have them in. And how about just making it mandatory for all the legislators uh, to have, say, X number of um, X number of public policy researchers under them. And it will not just be a boost up for uh, the researchers at their own level, but it would be extremely important as to, you know, when they come out of it, they that, that certificate, that recommendation letter, that itself makes a huge, it transcends from 
one level one to level three or level four uh, in their careers. In this might also enable more on more and more people to just step into politics. We need educated uh, youth to come into politics. Very recently, we have seen the local level elections around the country happening, and we have seen people as young as age twenty one being elected, and that itself is very encouraging. And of course, then there are think tanks, public policy think tanks, and um, civil society organizations who focus on public policy. So, both at ideational level, both at um, at levels of experiences, and also in terms of how policy recommendations, policy solutions can be provided to the respective. policy makers you know we can have um, different tiers of researchers public policy researchers even in the departments even in the ministries because as we know it is um, we are all short staffed at all at all places so here we have on the one side very dedicated young energetic youth who are wanting to make some change or who want to be the change makers so we need to just utilize or harness their zeal we need to harness their enthusiasm and uh, channelize them for the purpose of nation's democracy and we can just you know we'll progress from there thank you so much for that i think for our listeners uh, if they really want to understand more about public policy there are institutes like prs who run lamp fellowship swaniti fellowship rashtram runs a program vision india foundation there are multiple organization that are running um, these programs wherein you can get an exposure to public policy and what's happening over there also parliament runs this internship uh, every year wherein they invite people and it's a paid internship so they paid decently well for uh, undergraduate student to come and work in the parliament so there are opportunities being created slowly slowly for more young people to engage with political processes and i think it will be great in early 20s to get an exposure of how policy making functions how do politicians function so thank you so much uh, dr simi for the wonderful conversation public policy initiatives have a deep and lasting impact on the trajectory of the nation they determine a country's journey towards enhancing welfare of its citizens fostering inclusivity in representation and encouraging multiplicity of perspectives all of which contribute to nation building they are integral to shaping the attitudes of a country towards marginalized communities minorities and socially underprivileged sections of the society our conversation with dr simi mehta reveals how just impactful sensitization of the youth and harnessing youth leadership can be for strengthening democracies the demographic dividend becomes a gift in the true sense only when young minds can be guided towards taking a critical and a responsible look at policies and how they can best serve all citizens of the country stay tuned for more such discussions on inclusivity and intersectionality at democracy rules Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper, or wherever you are currently listening. This podcast is generously supported by the US Mission India. The opinions, findings, and conclusions stated in the episode are those of the guests and speakers, and do not necessarily reflect those of the US Department of State.